What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi there. Welcome to our listeners. This is the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Victor is a scholar, columnist, essayist of political and cultural norms, and does a lot of critique of our political situation right now. So we're always happy to hear from him. Today is a news roundup of sorts, at least we're doing current news. And we have the Alaska election, Mikhail Gorbachev, Biden's speech, and maybe a little bit on the G7 plan to cap prices with Russian oil and the UN and its publication of a letter against the human rights abuses of China of the Uyghurs. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He is available on his website, victorhanson.com. Come join us. There's subscriptions. You can get a free subscription and we'll put you on our mailing list. And there's lots of free material. And then there's the $5 a month and the $50 an annual annual subscription where you have available to you the VDH ultra material that is fairly extensive, somewhere between 2,400 and 3,000 words each week. So please come join us. Victor, I always ask how you're doing today or if there's anything on your mind. Do we have anything? I am broadcasting from Hillsdale College and I left the Central Valley when there was zero humidity and 107. And now it's about 68 and raining with 100% humidity. How's that? <laughs> Sounds and like fun. I, I'm having uh, a neuroplasticity talk with my brain every morning and saying, you know what? You feel like you've got the flu, you're fatigued, uh, muscle ache, weird neurological. You don't. That's your immune system. So you tell them there's just a little old dead spike protein. Do not get excited. Calm down. So we're getting along. This is my new strategy. Oh, nice. I hope it's working for I, you. I think it will. I'll tell my okay. student, stop those leukotrienes, cytokines, histamine, just calm down. Yeah. You don't have to get excited about something that's long ago past. I'm going to try to retrain my brain if I can. Yeah. Well, let's turn to Sarah Palin and her strategy and the Alaska <laughs> elections. They have a ranking voting system and she lost. She lost whether you just took the straight up vote or when they instituted the ranking afterwards. So they go with the straight up vote, which she lost by almost 10 points. It was 31% of the vote to Palin and the Peltola got 40% of the vote. Yes. And then a Republican took away 28%. And his name was Nick 
Begich, I think. And so the point is the the conservative candidate complex would have won by 20 points had they had a regular election where they had a runoff between the two top vote getters. But since we have ranked and since people are not familiar about the importance of a second place person, i.e. you should, Sarah Palin, you're going to vote, you leave the second and third choice blank. The irony is that 60% of the people wanted a conservative candidate and they ended up with a democratic liberal just, just simply because of this rank system, which doesn't really work well because the electorate's got problems enough without trying to follow all the myriad strategies of whose name you put in the second or something alternative and how that is calculated into the ultimate result. And it it should have never had that system, but it's not the end all because this was a fill in for a deceased congressperson and they're going to have another retry in November. And then the question will be, will these two Republican candidates caucus and one of them will bow out? If that should happen, then that Republican seat will be held. Yeah. Victor, what's your assessment of how Republicans are just doing broadly beyond the Palin election here? Any thoughts? I'm not a registered Republican. I'm a registered independent, but we keep talking about this. They have to nationalize the election. That just means that when Trump holds a rally, as he did yesterday, we all know what they did to him at the rate. We all know that it was unjust. We all know that the various exegesis, explanations, analyses, why they went there keep changing with the day. But so what? We expect that from the left. What we don't want is a replay of 2020 in Georgia where Trump blasts the system and then his base doesn't vote and then the swing voter gets turned off. So what we want is for Trump to say, what they did to me is a terrible injustice, but it won't be nearly the injustice that's going to happen to you if you don't go out and vote on an array of policies. And here they are, energy, inflation, the border, Afghanistan, crime. These are existential threats, and we have to unite and make sure that every single candidate for the House or the Senate asks their their Democratic opponent, do you support the border policy of 3 million illegal entrants? Do you support a historic rise in crime? Do you support near record energy cost? Do you support 8.5 point inflation? Do you support support what happened in Afghanistan? And see, and that would be a big win for the Republicans. Nobody does because I know that from the polls. They all all those positions I just delineated don't poll fifty percent. Nor does Biden. They're all giddy. The Democrats, oh, my God, he's recovering. Aviator Joe. And what do I mean by recover? He's gone from 38 to 41.8 or something. And the Reuters has him back down at 38. So he's an anemic, hopeless candidate. But that doesn't mean he's going to lose. And I think that's really important for everybody to understand what's going on. There was a January 6th melodrama. And then it petered out. And then we had the three weeks ago, the raid psychodrama at Mar-a-Lago and nuclear secrets and Trump's mementos and Russian collusion. You know, that was just the bombshell walls are closing in. Same playbook as the Russian collusion hoped. And now I think we're going to have an indictment. But what are we not having is a discussion of how wretched this administration's record is. And that's by design. So they the the left wants to let off these bombshells, and they've done it for the last six weeks. And every time they talk about we're going to go Donald Trump, and he's going to get angry and tweet or do something, then we're not talking about the price of gas or the spiking crime rate or the unlivability in downtown America or the open border. So that's what's happening with that. At some point. The Republican Party, I think traditionally the campaign starts after Labor Day. They're going to have to rise up and say, this is a contract with America. This is what we're going to do if we take the House and Senate. We're going to introduce legislation to finish the wall, secure the border. 
use federal attorneys to urge them. I mean, they don't have the presidency, but we are, their idea is to have federal attorneys charge people with crimes and mean it when they charge them. And then we're going to have to have some kind of physical responsibility. We open Anwar, Keystone, more federal leads, all of that, and make it a national election on those issues. And I think they would pick up 40 seats or 50 seats. But not mm-hmm. if they allow the news cycle to be melodramatic. Donald Trump is, you know, Satan incarnate and he's going to react. And so, again, everybody should remember what's going on. It's January 6th. It's the Mar-a-Lago raid. It's going to be an indictment. And right now we're in the middle of what? The semi-fascist dash, disloyal American MAGA people, Biden. And that's what yeah. Yeah, you know, since you've mentioned that, let's turn to that Biden speech. He said so many outrageous things. I I just am stunned. He said, quote, uh, mega people are extremists, number one. (laughs) They do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They are working to give power to partisans and cronies to decide elections. They promote authoritarian leaders, fan flames of political violence, and threaten personal rights, the pursuit of justice, rule of law, and the soul of the country. I was just uh, shocked because it seems to me that the Democrats could find... Yeah, exactly. But... Go ahead. What Remember are your thoughts? Remember when he said, didn't he say they, emb- they embrace anger, they thrive on chaos? Yeah. They live, they, and I like that one. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. And I think John Meacham probably wrote that speech. They had a lot of presidential historians go in and advise them. And then they went out and told everybody about a great speech it was, as if Biden took their advice, so therefore it's a great speech. But um, it's just classical projection, isn't it? So if you listen to that, you think, okay, Donald Trump, when he was president and he had that MAGA agenda, he hired 87,000 IRS agents. Oh, no, he withdrew the contractual arrangements between student and federal government on student loans, and he forgave what they said was $300 billion, but more likely $500 billion eventually to a trillion dollars with a stroke of a pen. Oh, he weaponized the FBI. They put Robbie Mook. Remember him? He was Hillary's campaign. They put him in leg irons, didn't they? Oh, no. They took Jake Sullivan, the guy who was knee-deep in collusion, our national security advisor. Did they grab his cell phone at an airport? I don't know. Did the FBI director go into, you know, did he go into a meeting with uh, Biden and then go out and memorialize it and then leak it to the New York Times? Is the FBI, is the FBI, I don't know what we should say. Are they forging documents? Are they wiping clean subpoena phone records? Where did that all happen? That all happened in opposition to Trump and MAGA. And so I could go on and on and on. Did did Lois Lerner meet Bill Clinton on the tarmac and then arrange some kind of deal in which Hillary probably wouldn't be tried? Do we have 50 Trump CIA experts or intelligence operatives who swear that the Hunter laptop is what? Russian disinformation when they knew it wasn't? And where's where's the DOJ investigation of Hunter where he admits on a computer and he says that his father's Mr. Big Guy, Mr. 10%, Pedo Peter. That's <laughs> Who is packing the cord? Who wants to pack the cord? Who wants to get rid of the 180-year filibuster? Who wants to destroy 233 years of the Electoral College? Who wants to nationalize balloting in contrast to what the Constitution allots that responsibility primarily to the states? Who wants to let in two more states after 60 years just so they can get four senators? Who was rioting for 120 days and $2 billion damage and 35 dead, 1,500 police officers injured, 14,000 arrests? Who said, wait a minute, who said it's not going to stop? It won't stop before and after the election. It shouldn't stop. I think that was Kamala Harris. And so you tell me who's the insurrectionary party. And who was the one that said that the Supreme Court was illegitimate when they were in Spain? Wasn't that Joe Biden? And when there was an assassin who turned up 
near the house of Brett Kavanaugh? Did the White House say anything? And did, the, did they say anything when they went after Kavanaugh in a restaurant? Did they say anything when Chuck Sumer got to the doors of the Supreme Court and said, you sowed the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're not going to know what hit you, Gorsuch. Kavanaugh, that's threatening a Supreme Court judge. Did anybody, when by, when Trump was president, did they uh, when Trump left office, did they write 10 days into Biden's tenure? Did they say, you know, there's only three ways to get rid of Joe Biden. There's the 25th Amendment, there's impeachment, and we can get a military coup, the way Rosa Brooks did in Foreign Policy, which published that article. Did a bunch of retired officers start calling, I don't know, Biden, conservative officers call him a Mussolini, a Nazi. Did two retired colonels advise Mark Milley to go out and remove Biden from office? Did Admiral McRaven all of a sudden say Biden should be removed sooner the better from office? No, they didn't do any of that. And so when he says that they're anti-constitutional or they're threats, he's talking about himself because they're left-wing revolutionaries. And they always do that. They project. Yeah. That, isn't, that doesn't mean that the Republicans aren't playing smart. I mean, they, they've got to, what they want to do, in other words, Sammy, is they want to get them so angry with all of these false accusations that they go crazy. And when they're called and they say, well, if they're going to call us insurrectionaries and disloyal traitors, we might as well. And they want a street, they want another January 6th, five hours. Because in their mind, they can riot and loot and destroy for 120 days and no one cares. But you do it on and go to the Capitol. And by the way, it wasn't just the Capitol was iconic because the White House is pretty iconic, too. And on May 31st, 2020, they tried to break out into the from Lafayette Square right into the White House grounds. So my point is that they want to provoke people. And you don't want to get into that cycle where you're reactive. You just want to take a deep breath and say, you can call me anything you want. You do your worst, we'll do our best, because there's going to be a reckoning, and we're going to get every person out to vote. And we're going to vote on the issues, and we're going to have eagle eyes, and we're going to watch every SOB that tries to put $419 million to selectively absorb the work of registrars in key precincts or congressional districts. We're going to watch you this time. We're going to make sure that you don't do what you did in 2020 when only 30% of the electorate showed up on election day. So that's what they need to do. Electoral integrity and the issues and not get into this. And, you know, everybody's kind of analyzed it to death, but it was sort of like <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, wasn't it? That set, yeah. that red glow. Was it supposed yeah. to be red, white, and blue? It was dark. Yeah, it Everybody's been saying they felt it was so inappropriate. And I'm, after reading the speech, I, I thought, this speech is so dark and it's so calling of Satan and satanic things that I, I'm sorry I didn't think it was a very appropriate backdrop. But, but you know, I, I've given, I don't know, probably two speeches a month for 30 years. I don't know how many, that's 25 or 30 speeches easy a year, probably you know, a thousand speeches. I have never once taken my two hands and had fists and clenched them on either side. Because you know why no one in their right mind would do that? You know who did that? It was Adolf Hitler. And I'm not trying to add Hitlerium, reduce it down to Hitler. But you no speaker does that because that has been a nefarious posture ever since we saw it on our, you know, on documentaries. But yeah. for Biden to do that and then to grimace and then to have this dark black and red glow coming out, like it's, as I said, I mean, people have said it was like Triumph of the Will or Lenny Riefenstahl's outtake or something. But to have U.S. Marines there, and I thought that Mark Milley apologized when Donald Trump walked over uh, after the May 31st riot and Milley accompanied him. He said, I shouldn't have been there. That was too political. A presidential address is the only place where U.S. military are going to show up. I apologize. Where's Mark Milley? <laughs> is General, General Milley, are you going to say this was very appropriate? There were two there were two Marine guards there, and they were used as sets, and this was not a presidential speech. Well, he's not going to say that because he mm -hmm. was never upset 
about the principle. It was Donald Trump that he felt that people were objecting to, and he didn't want to get on the wrong side of them because he's got a lucrative career when he retires. And so this is, I mean, according to what we were told, you can't use the military if you're a president, if you're acting in a partisan or political fashion. So everything about it was creepy. And then, I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but when you put that black set and then you have him there screaming and yelling with that hoarse voice, and he's got that lizard-like white pale complexion with that black red, as they said, Phantom of the Opera, and then you've got the military rifle and a, and a guard there. It, it's just eerie. It was the person who dreamed that up are those three historians that argue that he should get tough right before the semi-fascist and this thing. I think it was Michael Beschloss, Doris Kearns, Kearns Goodwin, and uh, John, Jan Me- John Meacham. I think they've all had – I didn't understand why they would advocate anything because they went on – I think uh, – I think Michael Beschlaw said, well, this is a wartime, this was like a wartime call. We're not at war. <laughs> Who are we at yeah. war with? Who are we yeah. at war with? This is the yeah. civil war porn that we talked about earlier, insurrection porn. They're always talking about insurrectionary civil war. Whenever you want to find an article, just Google uh, insurrection section, blue exit, or whatever you call it. It's the left that talks about that. And so they yep. Victor, let's take a moment for some messages and come right back and finish up on this topic. So let's go ahead and go to some messages. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, Victor. We were just talking about the Joe Biden speech, and and I think that given the nature of the speech, which was to try to make everything Trump do seem satanic, and the backdrop kind of fit in with that, although I understand how inappropriate it was. Um, I I do have a question, though. They yeah. He quoted a, a Fourth Circuit judge, Michael Lutig, that Trump and his allies yes. are clear and present danger. And I thought that was very strange um, of Michael Lutig to have said that. He, well, he you was can always find every, by the right. I know, but you, you can always find a Republican to do play that role. You always can, <laughs> because his name is now in the paper. Yeah. Uh, until I said no so emphatically, believe me, if you're, say, at the Hoover Institution, you'll get a call from the New York Times, and it'll go something like this, or the Washington Post, or Politico, they'll say something like the following. We're doing a story, and we understand that you're a principled conservative, and we would like to know, is there anything that bothered you about that Trump rally? And then you're supposed to say, well, and then they use that name. You see what I mean? They say, oh, conservative. And so that's the game. So you never talk to those people because they're not, they're disingenuous. But, you know, when you were quoting all of that, that worst thing about that speech, uh, and you, we quoted a little bit, of, but you remember when he said, uh, I don't know what, he said that uh, in Donald Trump's America, you couldn't, what was it? You couldn't marry the one you love. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was just a complete, he said, you know, they want to take us backwards. Yeah. Uh, they had you you have no right to privacy. Everything he said was a complete lie. 
So when he said you have no right to privacy or choose, you do. All the Supreme Court said was, you have a choice. This is a democracy, a constitutional republic. So whatever state you're in, contact your legislature or have a ballot initiative, because you know what? You have the chance to choose whether you want an abortion law or not. And we don't care. It's your business. So do you know right to choose? And if you lose out and you want to have uh, pro-abortion and you're in, I don't know, Idaho, and it says you can't have an abortion at the time you want it, then just drive, you know, for six hours, eight hours into California. And it's, there, half the states are going to be blue in the terms of abortion. And he says you have no right to contraception. <laughs> They're going to, you can buy birth control pills in the mail now. And you have no right to marry the one you love. It was Barack Obama. Do you remember that, Sammy, in 2008 mm-hmm. when he ran and they asked him, do you believe in gay marriage? He said, no. Marriage should be between a man and a woman. And they got mad at Biden because he got in a, one of his senior moments, he let the cat out of the bag that that was a lie. They were going to flip on that issue. And then Obama was forced to change. And so that was all, by the way, that was just a theft from uh, Ted Kennedy's smear of Robert Bork when he was up. You know, in the, in the world of country of Robert Bork, you wouldn't be this. And it really was effective. And these little speechwriters got together, historians, I guess, and they thought, let's get this old corpse out and bring it back from the dead and smear MAGA like we smeared Robert Bork because it worked. And uh, he, he had a, a fundamental contradiction in that speech because 75%. 75 million, to, I don't know, a little bit more, voted for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump lost no more Republicans than did John McCain and Mitt Romney. They were different Republicans, but he got 90% of registered Republicans in 2016 and 2000, maybe 89 in 2020 to vote for him. So when he says uh, MAGA, he's talking about most half of the country. And when he says uh, the MAGA Republicans, well, 90 percent of them voted for Donald Trump. And you know that he's disingenuous because every single primary contest in the Senate or the House, when they thought that there was a moderate, you know, a MAGA person, but who wasn't full in for Trump. What did they do? The Democratic Party that has so much money to burn, they gave it to the extreme MAGA candidate, the ultra MAGA, as they would say. So they were fueling MAGA candidates in the primaries, which they said were insurrectionaries now. Why were they doing that? And if they thought it was so toxic. All all that was missing from this speech was he should have held up a paper and said, in my hand, it's a 209 known MAGA supporters in the government. And he would have been Joe tail gunner joe mccarthy which he is it was just right out of joe mccarthy and i say that not out of you know flamboyance but because he gave no indication he didn't give any data he didn't say anything he said that everybody uh they said that people said those who rioted on january 6 were patriots they didn't a very small group of people i said it what everybody else said They said there were a lot of buffoons there. Not everybody that was in the general area went into the Capitol. Some went in because they were welcomed in with open doors. But the people who committed violence should be punished. And they were punished. But there were a lot of people who were charged with, what, illegal parading? And Joe Biden lied about every detail in that January 6th. Ashley Babbitt was shot while she was unarmed. She was the only person probably killed, maybe another MAGA supporter. Officer Sicknick was not, he was not murdered by MAGA protesters. He died of some type of reaction or stroke the next day. It might have been induced by the stress, but it was not coming at the direct hands of a MAGA supporter. And for those who did attack police, then shame on them. Joe Biden didn't say a damn word for 120 days when there were 14,000 arrests and people firebombed police. They tried to burn down a police precinct. They attacked a federal courthouse. And uh, he never 
He never used the word insurrectionary, and his current vice president praised them, and not only praised them, but said it wouldn't stop and it shouldn't stop. So that's what is really irritating about him. You know, but the other everything he says, it's you know, where's the Washington Post with their list of presidential lies like they had when you know Trump was in office? The other day he said, and you know, an AR-15 has a, a that when they shoot that bullet, it goes five times faster than most guns. I think if you took a 44 Magnum with a full load, it goes faster than an RA, AR-15. That's not true. Maybe ten percent, some faster than some rifle calibers, or depending on the ammunition. But in most cases, an AR-15 round will not go any more, any quicker than say a .30-06 or something, or a handgun with a, a blow. That was a complete lie. Five times faster, like a hypersonic missile or something. You know, most you know, twenty five hundred feet per second. Is he talking about what ten thousand feet per second? <laughs> <laughs> It's Russian Vladimir Putin's hypersonic rocket. So he just does that all the time. He just makes stuff up. Yeah. it. Uh, you know, I'm surprised that you said that it, they consulted historians and three historians on this because it really just sounded like the the rantings of a deranged mind. He did. And but I, mean, I thought th- so. I thought of, he wrote it himself. But think of the people who he, he the news accounts said that they had urged him to go big. And then there were leaks out yesterday that he listened to his his historian advisors to be tough. But look who they were. I mean, Doris Kearns Goodwin was fired from PBS for plagiarism. Michael Beschloss. I mean, just the other day when they had the Mar-a-Lago raid, he tweeted out the Rosenbergs and their remember their fate as if Donald Trump should be what in the electric chair for stealing. Uh, giving what nuclear secrets to the Soviets? He just completely made that up. That he was, you know, any way equivalent to the Rosenbergs. He's an historian. John Meacham was already chastised prior uh, by the media for not for commenting on a speech that he helped write. That would be like, hey, Victor, this is Donald Trump. Would you please let me talk to you about my rally speech? Okay, Mr. President. I think you should do this, and I think you should really go big. I think you should really let the left have it. Just let them have it. Say everything you can. I'll give you some historical references, too. Just like I'll get a Robert Bork speech that Robert Bork, when Teddy Kennedy attacked him, let's use that. Oh, good. And then he gives it, and then I go on Fox, and I said, wow, that was a brilliant wartime speech. That was just great. Oh, I guess I was one of his advisors who just talked to him. Oh, I guess I've been pl- I've been in the past either guilty of plagiarizing or comparing Joe Biden to the Rosenbergs who should be electrocuted, or I've done this before. Praise the people who wrote the speech of which I was a part of the speech making team. <laughs> That's where we are, and nobody says a damn thing about it. Nobody says a damn thing. No, I don't because know. There, there's an elite historians, and and I guess you can plagiarize. That's a weird thing. If Believe me, if some guy at Mississippi State or Cal State Fresno or Cal State Sac, Sac State, if he uh, plagiarizes, they're never going to be on anything again. That's it for you, unlike Doris Kearns Goodwin. And if you tweet out that the ex-president of the United States should basically should be executed by p- posting a picture of the Rosenbergs uh, and suggesting that so-called nuclear secrets were espionage on the part of um, Trump. And you don't know the difference. Then if you if you had done that without the protection of that beltway elite classification, you'd be fired, you'd be done for. Yeah. And believe me, any any legitimate historian who was contacted by a president to write something for that president, and then as a media commentator started praising that, that they would be done for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I it's I could go on about this because it's just so strange what Trump has done to everybody. I know we've talked a lot about Trump derangement syndrome. And reverse that's what derangement. It seems. Reverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he I mean, brings yeah. out the, derange- he, <laughs> he brings out the word. He chose the real person is what you're saying. Yeah. He's like a 
distillery. He distills them down. He does, and yet this I have this has got to be the worst speech ever given by a president, and he's you know he's really made him do it. I guess just incredible. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, he has that ability to completely look what he. I mean, look at look what he has done to people. J- John Bolton was a respectable person. He went completely mad in his hatred of Trump. Look at Bill Crystal. Look at that Michael Hayden, the ex CIA director. He's been tweeting that Trump is. His border cages, he called them, that he inherited from Obama were like Auschwitz. And then he, he retweeted that uh, Michael Beschloss, um, you know, Rosenberg illusion. Yeah. You know, I know it came from John Meacham because, you know, the soul of America he kept talking about. That was the name of, a, you know, that was the name of uh, a book that Meacham wrote. He just uh, talked. He just talked yeah. to him. So basically, I think you could say, basically, uh, John Meacham went and talked to Trump and said, "You know, I wrote a book called Soul of America." <laughs> I mean, talked to Biden said, "I wrote a book called Soul of America," and and uh, I think that you that would be a very good thing for you to incorporate in your speech. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is what's so. What's so weird is that he's he was bordering on what he did before, because I think that what was it? And it was right after right after the election. I'm sure of it. And he was right after the election. Uh, he praised a Biden speech that he wrote that he ghost that he helped got ghostwrite. And uh, I think he it's was at the time he was chastised for it at Vanderbilt. And, uh, and I think that. I think he left Vanderbilt. I don't know what the, what the cause and effect was. But my point is this, that if he's done it before, he's gone to Biden and he said, look, write this. Then he went on TV and praised the, the stunning speech. And then he goes back and does it again. And he uses the soul of America. And he shouldn't be commenting on it. And Michael Beschloff should not be commenting on it if he advised. And none of them should be. But it's part yeah. of it's. It's almost as if somebody said, Let's think about how would you be a real swamp creature? I know you would be in the cocktail circuit in Washington, D.C., and you'd be on CNN and MSNBC, and then you would go talk to Biden, and then you would go in an incestuous circle and brag on it. And so it's unless you're going to disagree with me, Sammy, and say this, no, Victor, this had the mark of a brilliant Biden creation. He wrote it himself. (laughs) I just, I think he must have written it himself that, you know, I was thinking, well, just even compare it to Lincoln's first inaugural when they're headed into the Civil War. I mean, Lincoln's first inaugural had to tell the South that they were unambiguously a union and that separation wasn't going to, but he didn't go into this demonization. Like I, the whole speech was this demonization speech. FDR didn't do it on, FDR didn't do it on. Uh, December 8th, when he declared war on the Japanese. Remember the day of infamy speech? Have you ever heard it? It's very calm. It's resolved. And, so, and he doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't call them those little bastards. Or they're just, you know, he didn't say anything. So these people have don't know what they've gotten. And he was calmer than he was calmer about talking about an existential enemy than Biden was our own fellow American. Yeah, so so I still am surprised that he consulted anybody and not just his own deranged mind. But I think we should move on um, to, but I, I just like want to ask. I, I, oh, I, I think that I should start uh, advising politicians and then talking about which of their speeches are the most brilliant. And, <laughs> and we know how that will turn out. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. All right. Um, so I, I, a small topic I had, I thought maybe you might have some words on Mikhail Gorbachev, who just died at 91. He's the architect of trying to fix the Soviet Union, but having pr- probably helped its dismantling instead. But what are your thoughts on Gorbachev? Well, Putin didn't even have a state funeral, did he? He didn't even mention him. That's wow. good. Uh, well, I uh, I mean, I think the left, you know, they really loved him because they hated Reagan. So during it was kind of a, a political um, 
version of the Bobby Fischer chess, remember Boris Spassky and everybody on the left wanted the Russian chess master to win. Yeah. So in the Cold War, Gorbachev, you know, it was Reagan who was very suspicious at first. That being said, for a Stalinist, and he was a hardcore communist, uh, perestroika was not intended to end the way it did. Remember that. Glasnost and all that, uh, that openness, transparency, and reformation of the economy and all of that was supposed to make communism more competitive, not get rid of communism. Mm -hmm. But the key point was that when Eastern Europeans and the Warsaw Pact started to start talking freely, he didn't send in the tanks as they'd done in Hungary and, and Czechoslovakia in 68, Hungary in 56, and he didn't kill Russians. So, and, and when you're on the back of a tiger, that's what you have to do to keep that state. He believed in the Soviet state, and he was never going to rise above that. But at a critical moment, he, um, he did not you know, spur the tiger and stay on. He got off. And when you get off, the tiger devours you. So the whole Soviet system collapsed because it was based on fear and death. The other thing was weird that once they allowed the republics to break away, he was sort of the titular head of the Russian, of the Soviet Union, which he thought still existed, which he thought he would win an election, but he didn't realize the largest republic would be Russia, and that was Boris Yeltsin. And so for a while, he didn't quite grasp what was going on, that he had allowed the republics to break away. And the biggest one, i.e., that we think of synonymously with Russia, with the Soviet Union, was Russia, the synonym almost. And Boris Yeltsin very insidiously, very quickly got more power than he did. Yeah. And then he was the head of the Soviet Union when there was no union. <laughs> there was no Soviet. <laughs> so he, he was just a figurehead for a while so he's kind of tragic but he did yeah. he didn't kill people when he had an opportunity and the world that we live in that's something yeah absolutely all right let's go ahead and take a break and come back to talk a little bit about the g7 cap price cap uh for the russian oil and maybe a little bit on u.n human rights abuse UN accusing china of human rights abuses we'll be right back Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. And so, Victor, I found this article that the G7 had um, a rolled out a plan to cap price on purchases of Russian oil and, <laughs> and so limit their revenue. And I thought, what? You're just going to end up with no oil for your own people. But what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's weird. <laughs> I, I, it's so EU utopian. Mean Mr. Putin, we're freezing to death and we're going to be in hot rooms, our older people, so their body heat will keep them alive in their apartments and we're going to be burning wood. But you know what? We're not going to pay any more than this price for your damn natural gas. Okay. <laughs> I guess the Indians and the Chinese would prefer it. So you never issue any type of ultimatum when you're or any type of silly declaration unless you're in, from a position of advantage or strength right yeah and they're completely what energy dependent they yeah. being especially germany but most of western europe on russian natural gas imports and oil so when they say that they're going to limit they're just going to take a little bit of heroin is that what they say 
guess. Yeah. And they're, not, they're only going to pay so much for each uh, each dose, and then pay any more than that. <laughs> and then Russia is just going to cut off the you know IV what? to their arm. It yes. just cut off uh, he's, gas. He's already coming. done that. He's already done. You know what he does? About every three weeks, he goes, "Oh, we have a mechanical problem." We're going to have to shut it down until we find out what's wrong. And then he lets it, he waits for about a week, and then the prices double again. I think they're up 600% in some country. They're talking about the price of, I don't know, what is it, a, a beer in Britain is going to be 20 bucks or something, oh, 20 pounds. Yeah, yeah, they don't have anywhere to heat them. And why don't they have any means to heat themselves this winter? Because they will not frack. They will not try to develop clean coal. They will not keep nuclear plants open, and they won't go out in the north. You know, out offshore. They, the the East Med pipeline that was going to bring them natural gas, along with Biden's support, they canceled. And so they just wanted to buy. It was very funny. They're like California, the EU. They want to buy dirty, awful, stinky fuel from Vladimir Putin in the mid the Middle East, and then they want to make fun of those people, or they think they're morally their inferiors. They are, but so what? They need the fuel. Or they're going, and now they're going, same thing with California. I remember one day, I think it was for four seconds, <laughs> Californians said, we're energy independent with renewable fuel. And it was like this little glitch where they interrupted, I don't know, natural gas burning. And for one moment, it was that wet year we had hydroelectric 10%, nuclear 10%, solar and wind 40. It was a downtime. And for four seconds, we weren't importing dirty fuels from, I don't know, Colorado or Arizona or Utah or Alaska. But it's the same idea that we in California don't pollute. We don't get our hands dirty with those icky, messy fossil fuels. Now, we may be the second largest consumer of gas and oil of the 50 states after Texas, but we make other people get their hands dirty. We just use it. So we don't have anything to do with the heroin trade. We just inject it. That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. and give, it, give it to us or else, but we will not deal with it and we will not refine it. And we won't make it, but we bet we got to have it. Yeah. Well, let's turn then to China's failings. And the UN has give, put out a report on human rights abuses by the Chinese um, of the Uyghur population. So that's the, usually they're very tight-lipped on anything China's done wrong. So it's kind of unusual for the UN to actually um, critique them for what they're doing they to Uyghurs in the camps. Enough, they must not have paid off enough people. Usually they pay them <laughs> off. They do. And, I believe or they Or they threaten them. Yeah. So yeah. bribe I mean, them. Yeah. Nobody cares because China's, you know, 1.4 billion people and they've got trillions of dollars investments in all of the European and American elites and they're not going to say anything. So the thing yeah. about China is that the whole thing is about transparency and overtness. People who, uh, collude with China, they have a deal with China. And that is just don't rock the boat. If you're going to do do Hong Kong, do it over a year. Don't go out and shoot people. It makes us look bad. And so with the Wagers, just keep them in the distance. But when they're in the news too much, we it looks makes us look bad that we're on the tape. And so we might have to vote against you. You know, don't take it seriously in the UN, but we're going to have to do something or we're going to have no moral credibility because we trash the United States and Israel every day. And we won't have any credibility if we don't itsy bitsy once in a while sort of kind of object to yours. But please don't do anything overt because it makes us, puts us in an untenable position. That's their attitude of yeah. the people who will bet, bet China, yeah. like the, like yeah. the UN. Yeah, I suppose, and and I don't see any help for these poor Uyghurs. I guess that's what I'm sitting here thinking. Like, it's just well, so sad that, that yeah, what I mean, they're doing. Their problem is that they live in an atheist empire, and they're Muslims. A and B, they're not ethnically pure Chinese in the eyes of the Chinese majority, and that's mm -hmm. one of the most racist societies on earth. 
So there's so many things going on there. And then politically, they're not attuned to communism because they're religious. So politically, religiously, ethnically, the Chinese have no use for them. They're lucky. I mean, I don't know what goes on there. They're probably harvesting stuff from them. I don't know. But it's tragic. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't bother Bill Gates or Michael Bloomberg or anybody else to make billions of dollars in China. Yeah. And, and yet they're lecturing us, you know, about supersized Coca-Colas and climate change. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Um, Victor, that's all I had today. I want to uh, just say, you know, we're we're working, you're in Hillsdale, and we're working with um, equipment that's not our usual. So we probably have some sound issues. So we would like to apologize. Yeah, I'm for sorry that. for that. I have a yeah. little tiny, um, what is it called? Fifi or whatever? It's a little tiny mic. And yeah. I'm sitting here at a, it's very funny. I have a little tiny desk with a bunch of books and a laptop and it's all falling apart yeah. <laughs> i've got wires everywhere so okay. it's my fault not on your end yeah no no problem um all right well thank you though for all of the forays into especially the biden be the biden speech we really appreciate that i know your listeners do yeah yes the biden speech is it a speech or was it just a rant no. <laughs> exactly. It was just a rant or it was some weird descent into the inferno or something. I'm not really dead sure about yeah, it. It's it the strangest speech the I've ever seen. Abandoned yeah, it does. I'm, and I, then if you're if you're telling me that these historians consulted with them, I'm expecting the next speech to be purgatorio and then the final one to be paradise. So I'm hoping. I know. I think when you walked up there, you were going to see the glow and Biden and, and you're going to say, abandon all hope ye he winner here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for everything today. It was a great talk. I enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson. We're signing off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>